I forgot the last couple weeks to have you stand for the reading of the word, but I'm not going to forget today. So would you stand if you're able? We're going to read Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Here's what it says. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but the sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but, the king, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? When the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple for, and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Let's pray. So Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. God, I thank you that you are true and you are true to your word. And I thank you, God, that you have, uh, you have given your word to instruct us and to bring us wisdom, God, and to bring us closer to your heart. So I pray today, the Lord, that what I would say about this, God, would only honor you, only point to you, only be, God, baptized in your spirit in this moment, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would give us ears that are open, hearts that are open, minds to understand in this moment what it is that you would have to say to us. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. So we have been looking at this story of Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at this for the next few weeks still. And here in this chapter, chapter two, it kind of summarizes the key thing that happens in this book. Remember, um, that Nehemiah is one of those exiled Jewish people. He has been kind of deported from his homeland, actually has never even known his homeland. He's lived his entire life as an exile along with his people who have been his ancestors who have lived not in their homeland. And uh, through prophecy, God had promised that one day that the people would get to return back to their homeland, to the city of Jerusalem, and that one day that place would be rebuilt. And so that is happening in Nehemiah's day. People are getting to go back and return home. And so Nehemiah asks about, hey, what is going on with the city where, I'm, where, where my ancestors are from? And he learns that the walls of the city, the gates have been destroyed. And so he weeps and he mourns and he prays for a hundred days it's more, or, or somewhere around in there. And then all of a sudden in this moment, he comes before the king. Remember, he's a cupbearer, a person who tastes wine to make sure that the wine isn't poisoned before he gives it to the king, right? Awesome job, right? It's a kind of not, not a fun thing. Like, but, he, but he does that. And then in this moment, he uses this opportunity 
to actually begin to advocate for God's people to go back and to get the resources he needs to go and build the walls of Jerusalem. Now, this is a miraculous story because normally what would happen if a person was sad in the presence of the king, like Nehemiah is sad in the presence of the king, you would be killed, not just lose your job. Like to the king, people are relatively indispensable. This is a person with all the resources that you can imagine. So for a per- the king only wants to surround himself with people who make him feel good, right? Like, I mean, I know it seems like foreign to us, but this is the way it worked back in the ancient world. You only surround yourself with people who make you feel good about the things that you are doing. And so they would surround themselves with people. So if you were sad in the presence of the king, it was more than it, like at, at minimum, you would just never have this job again, but more than likely you would be murdered. You would be put out. And then what's even more miraculous in this moment is that Nehemiah uses this opportunity to ask for this incredible thing, and the king listens. You realize, like, this is an insignificant, like, the king should not be giving his attention to this request. You realize that? Like, like this people over there that I, have, that I have nothing to do with, somehow his king is moved not only to let this happen, but then to give his resources, his own army, and his own letters of kind of appreciation and, and acclamation so that this person can go and do this. This is a miraculous story. We kind of read it in a chapter and it's like, okay, cool, yeah, that seems great. But this like shouldn't have happened. Like this is not a story that should be in our Bible. This is God doing something miraculous. And so and it only is miraculous because Nehemiah chooses to partner with God in this story. He chooses to partner with God. And so we're going to look at a few ways that Nehemiah partners with God to to see something miraculous happen. And so here's the first thing I just want to say about that is that Nehemiah partnered with God in his position in life. Nehemiah partnered with God in his position in life. When you were a kid, did you ever dream about what you would be when you grew up? Was this a thing that you did? Yeah? Yeah. How about if I ask them, where did all the kids go? There was a bunch. Now there's not as many here. Right now, kids, do you have dreams about what you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. Yes. Okay. If you said yes, what are some things that you want to be? Singer. Singer? Football player? Photographer? Cartographer? Yes. Egyptologist? You guys have awesome. This is great. I don't even know what some of these things are. It's great. A voice actor? That's awesome. What? The president? Boom. Lily for president. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Go ahead. Actor? What else we got back there? Nothing? Okay, good. Okay, we're done with that. Chances are, though, even in that exercise, you're thinking back to when you were a kid and you thought about what can I be or what can I do when I grew up. I asked, I like didn't have like one thing I wanted to do when I was a kid. I, when I started thinking about this, like nothing immediately came to my mind. So I texted my mom. I was like, mom, do you remember me ever talking about like what do I want to do or what do I want to be when I grew up? And she said, as far as, far as something specific like a doctor or a race car driver, no. But you always loved superheroes and wanted to be the good guy that saved everyone. Masters of the universe, Hulk, Superman. Uh-huh. Yep. And of course, you also wanted to be a football player and you wanted to be in a famous band. I had some high expectations for life. 
superhero, famous band, NFL player. Uh-huh, yeah, so that, my life didn't go quite that way. As I got older, though, I stopped, like, just dreaming about the future. You, not, not that there's things that you're thinking about that you want for the future, are, but it became more about, like, I believed that there was a part of the story that God wanted me to step into, that God had of my story that he was writing. And there was something that, that was bigger and that he was calling me to step into. And I can remember, like, growing up as a kid, feeling this kind of, like, a growing pressure or this desire to kind of figure out what it, what it is, like, if you grew up in Christian circles, this was your calling, right? Like, I got to figure out my calling. I got to figure out what I'm, what I'm called to do. And then I, I felt this pressure to figure out all the steps to, like, the right things I had to do to get in the right position to make this, this happen. And I kind of fumbled through that throughout my life. And maybe you didn't grow up in church, but chances are that at somewhere in your younger years and all the way through up and maybe even today, you felt a need to try to figure out, God, what is it that... God, I can do with my life to make a difference? What can I do to, be, to, to do something that matters, to do something significant? Like, what can I do to kind of step into the story of God? And maybe even right now, like, you find yourself asking that question. Like, you're here in the room going, what am I doing with my life? Like, why? What is happening? What's my purpose? Why am I doing it? What, what am I supposed to be doing? How can I make a difference in the world? How can I be a part of God's story? And the truth is that sometimes the answer to that question comes in like big, huge, amazing moments, like Moses and the burning bush. Remember the story of Moses and the burning bush? He, Moses is out in the field and all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, this like bush just spontaneously combusts and there's a voice coming from it. Like sometimes it happens that way, but most of the time that's not how it happens. Sometimes we find these kind of like real miraculous moments where it feels like it's so clear where God is like doing something supernatural and saying like, this is what you should do. I've wanted that moment my whole life. Guess what? It has never come. Most of the time, even in those moments, for those of you who have experienced those kind of miraculous, like crazy kind of calling moments, most of the time, even God's purpose in your life or the thing that you want to step into that feels significant, it's actually birthed in the mundane stuff of life. It actually happens as we're just going about our business. Even that story of Moses, Moses wasn't in the wilderness wandering around thinking, I bet a bush is going to appear today on fire and God's going to speak to me. It just happened. He's out being a shepherd, just doing what shepherds do. Like, and then this, all of a sudden it happens. Most of the time we're just going about our business, whatever we've already decided to do, whatever responsibility or life requires at the moment. In the middle of that, it seems like what God does is starts to paint a picture of something that I could be doing with what I have right here and right now that could be significant, that could make a difference. We start to see how God is working things and in me and working things in my circumstances and the people around me, that there's something that God is like weaving together, and I need to be more aware of that and step into that. Most of the time, we don't have to go around like looking for meaning and like deep purpose. There's nothing wrong with that, but we don't have to do that. Most of us can find what it is that God wants us to do sitting right in front of us. We don't have to look far. I think sometimes we have to, we have, we have to, we think that like, oh God, if I want to do something significant for you, I'm going to have to move somewhere far away. Sometimes, 
Or sometimes I'm going to have to like get all of my stuff kind of lined up and in order. I'm going to have to get life, my life circumstances completely organized. I'm going to have to meet all the right people. But the reality is that's not necessarily true. Like right in here, right now, God can show you how you can step into his story and rise up and be a part of what he's building. And that's what happens in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is just a cupbearer to the king. It is a life he didn't choose. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want you to offend anybody, but my guess is if we were to survey the room, many of you would say, I didn't choose this life. Like this life was chosen for me. I didn't sign up for this. Like I just find myself in the middle of a story. Like I just find myself here. Just like Nehemiah did. Nehemiah more than likely didn't sign up to be a cupbearer for the king. Like that's not like he, so here, okay, where do I sign up to drink wine that might be poisoned? Like, where do I sign up for that job? Like, more than likely, he didn't do that. More than likely, Nehemiah found himself doing this. And if he's any like any other human being, he's doing this every day going, God, why am I here? Why am I doing this? What is the point? I'm serving this person who is, I'm a slave and they're my master. What is the point of this? Why am I putting my life at risk for this oppressor every single day? More than likely, those were the kinds of thoughts that Nehemiah would have going through his head. He would have probably been asking, what's the point of me not having a family? Because like we said a few weeks ago, maybe more than likely he was a eunuch and probably didn't have a family. What's the point about me being around all of these rich people and me not being rich? Like, do you see what I mean? Like more than likely he would have been asking those questions. But in the back of his mind, he had this burning desire to see God do something. That's why when he hears the report of the city in ruins, something rises up in him. I wonder if Nehemiah expected to weep when he heard the the news about the city. My guess is probably not. But but somehow there was something inside of him that knew, I, I want God's city to be restored. I want the walls of my place where I know God's presence is supposed to be dwelling. Like, I want that to be restored. And then when he hears the news of how broken it is, it just moves him. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in this position, wondering, a position probably he had wondered his whole life, why am I here? And now he knows in this moment, oh, this is why I'm here. Because I have an audience with a king. All of a sudden, Nehemiah would have seen that his life was no accident. And when the opportunity arises for him to do something about this burning desire he had to see his city restored, he uses his voice and his position in life as an opportunity to see God do something. Right now, you have a position in life. It's different for every person in the room. Some of you are grandparents. Some of you are grandkids. Some of you are stay-at-home moms. Some of you work construction. There's all kinds of in-between like, but every person in this room, every single one of you, you have a position and a station in life, and it is not an accident. Whether you work in a cubicle or a construction site, doesn't matter. Like, God is calling you to have eyes to see why he's placed you where he's placed you. It is not an accident. I guarantee you, God is writing a story in you, and he wants to write a story through you. I, I know he does. And it doesn't matter what your job is. Now, it's easy when we hear a story about like this to feel like, okay, this person got to go before the king and I like can't even talk to my boss. 
Like, you know, to feel like th there's such a wide gap. But that's where we get ourselves kind of like, uh, uh, it, it's a little bit defeating for us. Like, don't think about how big you can go with the things that God could do in your life. Don't think about what a big story God can write. Think about what does a faithful story look like in your life? What does it look like for you to be faithful in the position that God has put you in? What story might be writing if you would just be faithful? The reality is God doesn't need a whole lot more than that. Like, he's not put you just to make money. He's not put you there just to raise kids, although that's noble. He's, he's not put you there just for those things, but he's put you where you are in life to see the people and the places transformed by God's love. You live where you live on your street because there are people around you that need to know the love of God. I guarantee you. You might have thought you chose your house, you didn't. God chose it for you. Like, you might have thought that you, like, chose your neighbors, you didn't. God has sovereignly put them in your life for a purpose, God has positioned you to bring healing and hope to your family, to your friends, your coworkers. And you don't have to wait for some big thing to happen. Like, now next week, our friend Dave Herrick's gonna be here and he's gonna share some really, really practical ways that we can step into the places where God has placed us. So I'm not gonna spend my time doing that today. Dave is an amazing guy. He has kind of like cracked the code in a way for how do, I like, how do I meet my neighbors and use what my station in life is to be a blessing to my neighbors. And so I would love for you to make sure that you are here next Sunday to hear him. It, it'll be really, really helpful on this particular point. So I'm gonna leave that to him. But there are a few other things that we could pay attention to that will help us to step in and use the position that God's given us to partner with him. And so the next thing I want to just talk about briefly is how Nehemiah partnered with God in his pain. Nehemiah partnered with God in his pain. Nehemiah is so distraught over about hearing the walls of his city being destroyed that he like literally can't deal. He can't handle it. And again, this is bad news because this is not what a person does when they're in the presence of the king. When a person goes into the presence of the king, their job is to make the king have a good time, not to be sad. So again, people would be killed for much less. But Nehemiah in this moment is like so moved, so grieved that the pain shows all over his face. The king says this amazing phrase. When he asks Nehemiah what's going on, he says, Nehemiah, this can only be the sickness of a heart. That's a, that's a different level of sadness. Like, I've been sad, but sickness of the heart is like a sadness I can't just pull up myself out of. It's not something I just get over by trying harder. It's a deep, profound kind of sadness. And in this moment, Nehemiah is so, so hurt, so distraught, so, so moved by what's happening in his homeland, the place where God is going to go, that he has the sickness of heart, this point of pain, this moment of extreme vulnerability, though, becomes the occasion for the miracle that happens in the story. If, if in this moment, Nehemiah chooses to somehow hide his pain, the king never asks the question. You know, Nehemiah doesn't bring, the, bring it up, right? It's the king that asks Nehemiah in the story, hey, why do you look so sad? You've never been sad before in my presence. It's not like Nehemiah walked into the king and said, hey, king, I've got something to ask you. 
For whatever reason, Nehemiah was not ready to ask this question. It's not until this moment of vulnerability in his life, this moment where the pain shows on his faces, that sets the stage for the king to ask this question, that sets the stage for the king then to give Nehemiah the blessing and send him on to his homeland to go about returning the exiles and go go, go about rebuilding the walls. What if Nehemiah hadn't done that? What if he did what we try to do? Dismiss the pain. Act like it doesn't hurt. Act like it's no big deal. Try to hide it. What if Nehemiah did that? We don't know. It's hard to ask what ifs because we don't know. Maybe God would just have raised up another person. But what we do know is that 400 years afterwards of history are changed because of this moment of Nehemiah's pain and vulnerability with the king. This sparks the rebuilding of the city that one day the gates are rebuilt that Jesus himself will one walk, walk into. That is amazing. And it starts in a moment of pain and vulnerability here. Have you ever thought about how there is purpose in your pain? How the burdens that you carry are more than just burdens just for you to carry. That the brokenness in your life and that the things that disturb you are things that are, just, are more than just about you. All of us, every single person in this room has pain. Every single person in this room is affected by the brokenness of the world. You can't not be because we live in a broken world. Everywhere we look, all you gotta do is turn on the news really quick and you'll just be reminded how, how broken the world is, right? But most of the time we don't need to go that far. We just look in our own living rooms and our own families and our own family lines, our own heritage, even in our own life, right? Like we, we, we know that there is, there's incredible brokenness around us. And I don't believe that God causes that brokenness in our life to do something. I just wanna be really clear. It's not what I'm saying. But I know that God doesn't waste brokenness in our lives. God is a God of death to life. God is a God of beauty from ashes. This is who he is, right? God is the God of Joseph, way back when, who at the end of his life would say, you know what? What the enemy meant for evil, he's clear placing the blame on who the blame is. Joseph had this, awful, this terrible life. His brothers beat him up and leave him for dead, and then they sell him into slavery, and then he's wrongly accused of, 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 a, of a crime, and he finds himself in prison even longer, and then God does all these amazing things in his life, and at the end of his life, he would say, you know what? God was working in all of that. God didn't cause all of that stuff to happen in his life, but, but he wasn't going to waste it either. And so the pain and the brokenness that's in your life right now, like God is not going to waste that. He's not going to waste that. He's not going to waste the the brokenness that you have. Maybe your pain is meant to fuel a passion. Maybe your pain is meant to fuel a passion, not just for a personal project, but for his kingdom. Maybe your broken home is meant to fuel seeing other broken homes restored. Maybe your broken financial situation and the generational kind of financial situation seems like it stays broken is meant to help you help others find freedom. Maybe your addiction is meant to help you help others find recovery. Maybe your anxiety and depression like that you've struggled with for so long, maybe there's a purpose in that so others will be seen and heard and felt and known and that you can help them experience true joy, not worldly joy, but godly joy. 
Maybe the confusion that you've experienced about all different kinds of things in your life. Like maybe, I'm not saying again, I'm not saying that God has caused that in your life. But what I'm saying is maybe God doesn't want to waste that in your life. Just like he wasn't wasting Nehemiah's pain here. There was something in it. So what if instead of trying to ignore or avoid pain, what if we invited Jesus to step into our pain? What if we went to him with what we've got and say, God, this is, this is what I have. I'm broken here. I can't see my way out. This is more than what I can bear. And what if we actually became healed people who healed people? And what if we use that healing to bring healing to other people? So I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's God's purpose in his life. I know. How does God use a murderer named Paul to write more than half of the New Testament? It doesn't make any sense. God redeems broken things. It's, it's what he does. When people come to me and, they, they, and they're, they're frustrated or they're fired up about something, they're mad about something that's happening in, happening in the world, you know what that tells me? It tells me that you care and that you love something. So maybe the things that disturb you, maybe the things that frustrate you, maybe the things that bother you about the world is actually God stirring something up in your heart, not just to be mad about, not just to be frustrated about, but to do something about. See, God wants to partner with us in the pain. Again, I think he wants to heal it, and then I think he wants to redeem it and renew it. My, my own personal story, there are things that I care about now that I know I would not have cared about if I didn't go through my own struggles. So I went through a time in my life of deep, deep questioning and doubt. It's now what people would call deconstruction. I did it before it had a name. It was very, very difficult for me. But what that means for me now is I have a lot of empathy and grace for people who are in that place right now because I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to ask questions. I know what it feels like to feel like someone just pulled the rug out of my entire belief system and I don't know what to do. And so I know, I, I know what it's like and so that fuels my passion. I know what it's like to have a, a miscarriage and, and to feel like I had an expectation that there would be a baby and now there's no babies, now what do I do? And so now I have more empathy and compassion for people who maybe are going through those kinds of struggles. And so do you. You have those kinds of stories in your life. What has happened to you? What has gone on in your life? Man, God wants to heal it. He wants to step into that. By the way, uh, right now uh, we are reworking and revamping our inner healing ministry that we have at Fusion. We've done something for a long time. We feel like it's time to kind of uh, to retool it because we want to see people step into freedom. We want to see people walk in freedom. We want to see people walk in healing because healed people heal people. And so we, we, we're, we just want you to know to watch out for that. There's going to be some things coming up, coming up in that. And Nehemiah partnered with God in his pain. Nehemiah also partnered with God in prayer. Just before the king tells him, uh, uh, just, or just before he answers the king, when the king says, Nehemiah, what's going on? And he gets ready to answer the king and give him his answers to what's going on. Nehemiah prays. He says, then I, it says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. I love that it doesn't describe what Nehemiah prayed. 
It's just this short little line. And then I prayed to the God of heaven. Have you ever been in a situation like that where there's no time to pray, but you, don't, you know you just prayed? Like it just happens in an instant, like, dear Jesus, please help me right now. Amen. I remember one time uh, I, had a, um, uh, I was driving down the highway. I had an accident when I was in college. I had an old Bronco, and my Bronco, um, long story short, hit the median and flipped six times, rolled over like this. And I can literally remember as like the, vi- the, the vehicle was going, da- going rolling around, there were two thoughts. Oh my gosh, my dad is going to kill me. That was my first thought. And my second thought it was, oh God, please save me. I, just, just that quick, it was just a reaction. I didn't have time to think about how to pray. I didn't have time to walk through the steps of the Lord's Prayer. Now wait, what do I praise, repent, ask? What do I do right now? No, it's like, no, God, help, right? Thankfully, I like came out of that with like no injuries. It was insane. If you guys saw my pictures of my vehicle, my Bronco top is flattened. All of my musical equipment scattered all throughout the road. I had, like, I had just rec- done some like, music recording, so my bass was on one side, my amp was on the other side. All my clothes were strung all throughout the road. Like, when the guy came to like, look down into my window, he's like, oh my gosh, I fully expected to see a dead person. He didn't say, oh my gosh, he said other words. I can't repeat here. And I was like, yeah, like, I'm alive. Like, but there's those moments where you don't have time to think about what to pray. You just pray. And that's what Nehemiah does. He didn't like, you know, kind of drag this thing out in the middle of this. As he's bringing him wine, he prays this prayer. You know, most of Jesus' prayers that are recorded in the New Testament are, long, are, are less than one minute long. No more than a few words, at most a couple sentences. Like when we pray for people, guys, we usually take like a really long time. It's like, we're going to take about 10 minutes here. We're going to pray. When Jesus prays for he was like, hey, be healed. Okay, see ya. Like his prayers are really short. Now that doesn't mean Jesus didn't pray longer prayers. He stayed up all night praying before he picked his disciples. He, prays, he stays up all night praying in the garden. So I don't want to diminish that. I'm just saying that sometimes we think we have to pray long prayers, but sometimes we just need to pray God help. God do something. And these moments where it feels like God is about to do something, it feels significant. I think we underestimate how important it can be just to say a quick prayer. God, be with me now. God, give me favor in this moment. God, give me the right words to say. There are so many times where I know I'm going to walk into a situation where, let's say I'm at the hospital and there's someone who's really grieving over something that's happened or worried, like, I don't have time to pray long prayers. It's like, Jesus, you have to do something here because I don't know what to say. I can't tell you how many times I feel like Jesus has met me in those moments. Just a simple prayer. Just simply giving God these moments, both the mundane and these big moments. Like Nehemiah, I think he knew that this was like a weighty moment. I think he knew this was something significant. But what does it look like to not just go to those quick prayers and those big moments, but also do it in the everyday stuff? A few years ago, someone challenged me to... Uh, before I would go anywhere into public, before I go to the grocery store or to the coffee shop or whatever, before I had any meeting, just to take a quick minute and just to acknowledge that God would be with me and to pray that he would be with, with me. And so I did that. I went through this period of practicing before I go into Jewel and walk into the store, just like, hey, God, I know you're here and I know there's something in the store that for, for me, if I'm here, I know there's something here for me. So help me have eyes to see. Just simple prayers like that. Nothing. No, like from the car to the door. Like uh, that, w- that would be it. 
It was amazing in that season of life how many times I ended up actually having conversations with people or noticing people I wouldn't have noticed or slowing down to pray for someone or seeing, oh man, I bet that person needs like their groceries taken care of. But when I don't do that and I'm just going about my business, like I just, I have a tendency just to forget, right? And just the simplicity of acknowledging that God is present here with me in this moment is enough to help me step into the story that he's writing wherever I am. So many times I felt like those moments were more meaningful. But I'll be honest, I got out of that practice. Now I'm just in a hurry. Now I'm just trying to get the, the, first, car, the first car space. I'm, hurry, I'm trying to hurry up and get in and out. Like I'm fumbling with the dumb checkout thing because you have to check yourself out everywhere now, right? Like I don't have time to think about how to pray for people. I'm just trying to figure out how to work the machine. Anyone else feel that way? So I'm trying to slow down. And remember that God is at work. He's writing a story if I'm willing to step into it. And we don't know what would have happened if Nehemiah didn't pray. But he did pray. And look at the result. Now I think that the chapter right before this that records Nehemiah praying in that that moment, he he prayed and repented. And it's clear that he prayed this over the course of a few months, probably a hundred days, is really significant. So I don't want to undermine that. This moment where Nehemiah prays in this quick moment is, comes after probably a hundred days of prayer of saying, God, do something. God, do something. God, do something. But guess what? Those were a hundred days of unanswered prayers. A hundred days of unanswered prayers. It's not until this day that he prays that prayer and steps in and prays one more time that God actually answers the prayer and something significant happens. Anyone ever get tired of praying? You're lying. You do. Uh, uh, I just get tired. I, I get weary. Not only that, I get really forgetful. I tell people all the time, I'm like the worst intercessor. Like if I, I can't like stay focused in prayer for five minutes. Like if Jesus had invited me to go up with him to the garden, I would have been like the disciples falling asleep. He'd be like, dude, I brought the wrong guy. That's how I feel when it comes to prayer. I just not, I'm just not very good at it. I can't stay focused for five minutes, let alone five days, let alone 50 days, certainly not 100. But Nehemiah prays the same prayer like 100 days and for 100 days receives no answer. And then all of a sudden in this moment, he receives an answer. So I want to encourage you to not just let your, your, your sense of partnering with God in prayer be about did he answer my prayer today, but to keep praying to keep it up before you go to the grocery store, before you go to school, before you hang out with your neighbors, before you go spend time with your family. Just pray simple prayers like, God, would you let this be a moment of significance with my family? Would you give us an opportunity to talk about you? Jesus, would you help me to represent you well? Jesus, would you help me to see the pain of my friends today? Would you help me to have the right words to say? Or would you help me to keep my mouth shut? Whatever it might be. Some of you need to pray the keep my mouth shut prayer. Anyone? Like, yeah, amen. I see that hand, my friends. We all need to pray that one. I think that sometimes if we haven't put that work into prayer and like, you know, like Nehemiah, have all this time of prayer ahead of time, it starts to feel like, well, well then God's not going to hear me in this moment. 
I haven't prayed for it long enough. I haven't labored for it long enough. And so it feels to me like sometimes, well, I can't pray for the big thing I want to see God do right now because I haven't put in the time in prayer. I'm telling you, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's important to pray. It's important to lead up to these moments in prayer. But God listens to help me prayers. He just, help me, Jesus, crying out to him. You don't have to prove anything into him in prayer. When we see that there's an opportunity for God to move, when we have a sense that he's trying to write a story, we just step into it with prayer. Lastly, and this is the last thing, Nehemiah partnered with God in his persistence, and I would also say his boldness. Nehemiah partnered with God in his persistence and his boldness. Have you ever been around a kid who keeps on asking for more? Like, even though they've already had four donuts, and they're like, can I have another donut? Right? I'm not talking about anyone in my family, just to be clear. I'm going to look this direction, so I'm not looking. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, as a kid, you probably did it yourself. Like, you just, when mom and dad give, you're like, hey, they're in a giving mood. Let's ask for a little bit more. Like, have you, you know what I mean? Like, there's like that person who says, give me a little bit more, give me a little bit more. And like, you're like, ah, you don't know to stop asking. Like, cut it off. You're asking for too much. Well, Nehemiah does this in this moment. He keeps asking for more. The king listens to his request, doesn't kill him on the spot, doesn't dismiss him out of the spot, actually gives him what he wants. And then Nehemiah is like, okay, cool. So since it's a yes, can I also have a letter from this guy? Okay, cool. And since that's a yes, can I also have a letter for this guy? And also, is it okay if I have some resources? And also, is it okay if your army would go with me? This is ridiculous. Nehemiah doesn't really know what he's asking for in this moment, but he's persistent in asking. I can imagine like all the people in the royal court being around and maybe there were some other Jewish people and they're like, like, bro, you're gonna ruin it. Like, stop asking for stuff. He said, yes, just get out of here. You no longer have to drink almost poison every day. Be happy with what you got, right? But Nehemiah's like, no, I'm gonna keep asking. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep asking. And at the end of the day, the king not only gives him everything he asked for, he also sends an army with him, which he didn't ask for. That's awesome. That's the favor of God. It's kind of ridiculous. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency just to assume that uh, whatever I have in my life is all there is to have at times because like by God's sovereignty, he'll just drop the things in in my lap that I need. And God is so good and so kind to do that sometimes, but also he really, really likes bold people. He really, really likes bold prayers. He really, really likes people who will be persistent in prayer. Do you know that almost every parable that Jesus tells about praying, he tells us that we should keep on praying and be persistent? And one of those prayers he talks about, it's like a woman outside of a house, like, you should give me what I need, like harassing the person until they get what they need. Like, on the one hand, his prayer is so simple, but on the other hand, there's a persistence that I think that God calls us and invites us into when he has something for us. He's not offended by people. God is not offended by people asking for more. He's not offended by people who will step out in faith. He's not offended by people who believe, God, I think you can do more. I think you can do more. He's a really good father. 
What's Jesus saying? He knows what you need before you even ask it. But then he doesn't say, so then don't ask. That's what we do. That's what we assume. Because God knows, I guess I don't need to ask. It is the opposite. Because he knows, you should keep asking. And the Bible is full of stories of people who trust God and take risks. I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm talking about being full of faith. Again, the Bible and the pages of history are filled with people who ask God for more, who look at a situation in their life or in their life around them and say, God, I know there is more here. I know that you can do more. I know that you can do above and beyond what anything I can ask or imagine. I have a really vivid imagination. Like I can think about a lot of things and God is able to do more than that. It's offensive to me to think that that's true. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I just, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, it's hard for me to believe that God wouldn't be upset at me asking for more, but he invites me to ask for more. I know, God, that I don't have to settle for the way this relationship is right now. I know that you can restore it. God, I know I don't have to settle for my friend not knowing you. I know that you can save them. God, I know that I don't have to settle with living with this wound my whole entire life. Like, I know that you can heal it. Like, so we keep on going and we keep on asking. We keep on doing bold things. I'm telling you, God loves people who will do bold things. That doesn't mean you have to do crazy wild things. That doesn't mean you have to like, for you, boldness might be like saying hello to someone at the grocery store. For me, that's not boldness. But for you, that might be. For you, it might be having that conversation about that person, about Jesus. And that might look like that boldness. And maybe you've already done that, but maybe God's inviting you to do it again. Maybe God's inviting you to do it again, to step into that story one more time. Maybe for you, it's, like, it's something related to giving or generosity. Like You're like, and I don't know, I don't know, but I feel like I've already been giving and I've already been really generous. I've already helped those people out a lot. And that maybe God's inviting you to even more, to even more. Because the reality is God has placed you in a position at life, in life where he is at work right now. He is at work right now. Wherever you are, whatever station of life you are in, he's placed you in that position. And he is writing a story for you to step into. He's writing a story. It's already happening. It's already unfolding all around you. And it, it, like he has put you right there. And you have pain in the middle of that story. You have something right now that's a, a painful moment, something that's driving your passion, something that's disturbing you, saying like, I'm not gonna settle for this. Like you have something that's going on in your life that's fueling your drive to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in this situation. Like, those are the prayers that Jesus wants us to pray. Those are the prayers he wants you to pray in your position. And that prayer is more like partnership. It's not just you praying token prayers. It's you actually partnering with heaven, saying, God, let it come through me. God, let it come through me. Let it come through my family. Let it come through the gifts that I have. Let it come in any way possible, but I want to partner with you in this prayer. And then God wants you to persist and being bold in this stuff. And maybe the, like, the, the story of your life and my life isn't to like restore a kingdom. That's a big deal, right? Like, right? But maybe the story of your life is to bring restoration to your family or to your neighbors, 
to bring that to your workplace, to turn the tide of your family line. Like maybe like God is asking you to step into that story with him. Not maybe, I know it is. I know it is. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you just a second. Rob, you can come up. We're just gonna take just a minute before we go. And we really, really value trying to hear what God is saying and then put it into practice. So in the next just two to three minutes, I want you to take a second and I want you to think about what do you feel like God is speaking to you about today? From what I've said, from the word of God, what is it that you feel like God is putting on your heart right now? Go ahead, right now. Put it in your mind right now. What's he tugging at your heart about? What's he reminding you of? Maybe right now you're thinking about like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what my position is in life. I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I can't see how God can possibly be at work in this. So maybe what you need to do today is simply just ask God for clarity show, to show you how he is at work. Maybe what he's asking you to do is simply yield to him and say, Jesus, I give you this moment of making food for my kids today. I give you this moment of answering another email. I give you this moment, whatever it might be. Maybe God is revealing that there is some pain in your life that you know is purposeful, that you know is fueling some passions. And so maybe it's time to, to deal with that. Maybe it's time to go to some counseling or some therapy. Maybe it's time to get prayer. Maybe it's time to do some inner healing. Maybe it's time to take that and actually do something with that, to use your story, your testimony, that God has renewed and restored the way he's worked in your life for his glory. Maybe God's inviting you into prayer right now. simplicity of just asking Jesus to move. Maybe God's asking you to do something bold, to be persistent, to go after it again. There's some of you I know even here in the room who like you've hung up some dreams on the shelf. You've set some things aside feels hard, it feels difficult in this stage of life, and maybe God's asking you to pick it back up again. Don't give up. Specifically, I just wonder right now if the Lord might be laying an, a person on, your, on a couple people's heart to share the gospel with. Maybe you, you've done it before and you felt like it didn't go anywhere, you've been afraid to in the past, and I just wonder if right now the Lord might be inviting you just to share the gospel again with someone. I want you to resolve in your heart right now, what are you going to do about this? What, how will you step into what God is highlighting for you this week? How can you take a step this week? How can you take a step tomorrow? How can you take a step tonight? 
Delayed obedience is often disobedience. Maybe you were thinking about doing an Easter egg hunt and thinking, oh, that's kind of silly. Or maybe I don't want to do that because that doesn't seem like a a thing that's going to really make much difference. But you know that God's asking you to connect with your neighbors. And this is a simple way for you to do it. Maybe the Lord has been just challenging you in, in some area of your finances. And I just want to encourage you to, to partner with him in it. God's given you the job and the money that you have. It's, it's all from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And he's asking you to be faithful with what he's given you. Jesus, I I just pray, Lord, that that we would learn from your word how to be people who partner with you. Lord, and that we would rise up and step into the story that you're writing in us and through us. Help us to see, God, what you're doing and how you're doing it. God, help us to say yes to what you're calling us to. Lord, and, and help us to step into the adventure that you have. Now, Lord, I pray for anything that I've said tonight, God, if it's, if it's from you, let it stick. And if it's not, God, I pray that it will just be uh, forgotten. Lord, and I pray there would be no, no condemnation, no guilt or shame, Lord, but only conviction from the Holy Spirit, Lord, whatever it is that you want to say tonight. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would send us out into the world to go and to make disciples, to see people come to know you and follow you, God, and to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We dedicate ourselves to you in this moment. Right now, just, I just encourage you to dedicate yourself to Jesus in this moment. Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours this week. Use me how you want to use me, Lord. Do whatever you want to do in my life this week, Lord. Use me wherever I go, whatever I do. Let my coming and my going, Lord. Lord, let it be for your glory. I offer this to you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.